So here's the scripture reading from Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me, the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each difference from the others, came up out of the sea. Okay, you guys, you've got to kind of half close your eyes and half read at the same time because there's a bunch of stuff that's going to get ready to go on, okay? So, you know, get cinematic, you know. Stay with it. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was, t- it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like wool, was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, all nations, uh, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four beasts are four kingdoms that will raise up from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell and the horn that looked most imposing, uh, more opposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth and spoke boastfully. As I watched this, uh, as I watched this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came, pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. 
The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from the kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship him, worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept this matter to myself. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Um, as Giorgio said, my name is T.J. Turner. I'm an intern here at Christ Central. And like Giorgio said, I, I think it's true. It takes a couple years to figure out how to preach. I'm not there yet, so I don't know how long it will take. Um, and I'm not really sure this is the passage I would have picked to practice with. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It seems pretty obvious to you guys, I'm sure. Um, so we do have a, a little bit of a strange passage to work with today. Um, so as we come to that, let us pray to God that he would give us eyes to see. Our God and Father, this is your word which is given to us for our good. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would open our hearts to understand your truth, the truth about you, and the ultimate hope that you give us of the great restoration that is to come when you will make all things new. Bless the hearing of your word today, and I pray that you would use even me for the good of your people. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, this passage is uh, confusing and, and strange, um, and it can be a little hard to understand. And as like Giorgio said, it's kind of interesting because this passage comes at a turning point in the book of Daniel. Up until now, we've had a series of narrative stories uh, where Daniel and other Israelites have told us about um, their time in captivity in the land of Babylon. There have been stories of of Daniel before the king. Um, There have been interpretations of dreams. Uh, But up to this point, it's it's mostly been narrative stories. Now we're, as we come into the second half of the book of Daniel, we're shifting into what's known as apocalyptic literature. Um, I expect you all to remember that term. Um, And apocalyptic literature, it's just a genre of literature that we find in the Bible in a few places, and we find outside of the Bible as well. But basically, this is a genre that's characterized by lots of metaphors and symbols that can be really confusing. Um, and a lot of times, these, this type of literature deals with the ultimate end of things, the end of the world. So, again, strange things are happening here. Um, and, and that's kind of saying something, because if you've been uh, here for the sermon series of Daniel so far, we've already seen a disembodied hand appear and write on the wall. We've already seen some kind of crazy transformer-like robotic monster in a dream. Uh, we've seen people thrown into fires, into dens with lions, and come walking out like everything was fine. So things have already been a little strange. But now we're taking a turn for the extra bizarre. 
And because this passage does have such bizarre images in it, it has kind of some cryptic terminology um, and some obscure figures, there is a real danger that we face that we could get lost in trying to understand all of that, trying to figure out what this lion is with wings, why there's a leopard with four heads, and we could you know, bust out our calculators and calendars and try to figure out exactly how long a time, times, and half a time is. Um, and in fact, a lot of people have done that in trying to understand this passage. But you guys can go ahead and, and breathe a sigh of relief because I am not going to do that. And I think you are glad. And, and in fact, I think the reality is, if, is that if we were to do that, I think we would miss the point of what God is telling us in this passage. You'd probably also all be bored and leave really confused. But more importantly, we would miss what God is saying to us. So the, the first thing we need to do as we approach this passage is to take a step back and realize that this, just like the rest of the Bible, was written for our good. This was written for the good of God's people, both at the time 2,500 years ago and today. It's written for us to understand it. So anything that we come away with that requires a Ph.D. in cryptology to understand, it's just missing the point completely. In fact, I believe that if we want to get the point of this passage, we actually need to do something a little counterintuitive. We actually need to avoid trying to overanalyze all these details and try to examine too much of these symbols. And we just need to realize that this passage, to some degree, is intentionally unclear. That God didn't intend for us to know exactly who and what each of these creatures stood for and exactly when all these events were going to happen. This book was intended to have lasting value, not only for the moment when someone figures it out, but for all time, for all of God's people. These images then have a broad and um, have broad applications and can be applied to multiple situations. The beast we are presented with here, you see, they're, they're representations of general principles that govern the whole world throughout all time. In other words, God is revealing to Daniel and through him to us some specific examples of general principles. And the main point for us today is that we should try to get the general principles. Um, I hope this makes sense so far, and I hope you're not really disappointed that I'm not going to be uh, explaining the exact date of the end of the world today. So, sorry, I'll put that in my book when I write it. <clears throat> so, with all that said, let's try to get a grasp of where we're going here by seeing where this passage fits in the context of Daniel. The beginning of the book of Daniel, which we heard about a few weeks ago, actually starts in the middle of the story. If you recall, when we start Daniel, we actually find ourselves in the middle or really at the end of a battle, of a war that's already happened. If you recall, the book of Daniel starts with Jerusalem being overthrown. So we're jumping into the action near the end. It's kind of like the first uh, Star Wars movie, the first, the first first one, not the episode one, the good one, where we start with... We start with rebels who are fighting against this evil empire. We don't know much about the rebels. We know they have some kind of past that seems to be important. And we don't know anything about this empire except that it's bad. So that's kind of how we start Daniel. We see Daniel living life in captivity in Babylon. But as we come to this passage today and as we shift into the second half of this book, it's kind of like the point in the movie where the narrator says, 
wait, maybe I should start from the beginning. Anybody get that? Okay. Um, this is kind of the point where Daniel says, okay, wait, we've been talking about life as we're living it. Maybe we should explain the big picture, what's going on, where all of this started. So as we begin the second half of this book, understand this is the point where Daniel is taking us back, taking a step back, not only um, back in time like episode one, which I don't want to talk about. Um, we're not just getting the background of the characters. We're not just understanding where this evil empire came from. No, instead, when Daniel decides to give us the background, we're actually taking a step back outside of time, getting the cosmic big picture of the entire history of the human world. So pay attention. That's kind of important. Because what we have in this passage is not simply Daniel's history lesson about the people of Israel. What we have before us today is God's history lesson about the whole world. So instead of just getting the origin of the story of Daniel, what we get is the origin of all stories, of all history, of all time. And as we hear Daniel's story, we start to see how his and how ours fits into it. And as we look at this really big picture of the history of the universe, we'll start to see, first of all, that things are a lot worse than we realize. We'll see that we actually are a part of the problem, but we'll also see that ultimately God has a solution and that he makes us a part of that. First, we have to realize that things are a lot worse than we think. In this passage, Daniel is showing us a vision of four twisted, strange beasts coming up out of the ocean. They're described as a lion with eagle's wings, as a bear that's raised up on one side, whatever that means, and as a four-winged leopard with four heads. And then there's this indescribably terrible beast with iron teeth, with brass claws, which is trampling and destroying the people of God. Now, we could spend a lot of time trying to analyze these and figure out what exactly all these symbols mean. But fortunately for us, we don't have to because the text just tells us, and I really appreciate that. These four animals, we're told, represent four specific kingdoms which will rule over and oppress God's people. In fact, there is some debate about this, but most likely this refers to the same four kingdoms we saw earlier um, in the book of Daniel, the uh, Babylonian Empire, the Mede-Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. But, but here's the thing that's important to understand. These four creatures are not intended to only represent these four kingdoms. Instead, they're intended to represent all the powers of the world that rule apart from submission to God and who oppose his ways. These cre- creatures represent evil itself. They represent oppression of God's people and the rejection of his truth. And while these four creatures did represent specific kingdoms at the time, we have to realize these are not the the absolute or ultimate applications, but they're kind of the most immediate example um, of these principles. I know that's kind of confusing. Um, Try to think about it like this. There was probably some time when you were a teenager, excuse me, when your parents gave you some kind of advice that you ignored. And later on, you started to realize that maybe they were right. 
It could have been that they told you not to hang out with your one friend who had a car but liked to drink and smoke pot. And then you find yourself in his car as it's stalling while you're pulling into traffic or as you're about to drive off the road. And your whole life is flashing before your eyes and you think, this is what they meant. This is what I was supposed to avoid. But as you get older in life, you start to realize that they didn't just have in mind that one instance, but they actually had in mind a, a kind of person that you should avoid, namely ones that endanger your life and get, get you almost killed. So it, while it had a specific application, there are also are broader um, other application examples. hope that makes some kind of sense. Um, so in, in this passage today, God is revealing to Daniel a picture certainly of the immediate future which is coming, but more so a pattern which is going to repeat itself throughout history. These four beasts are intended to represent the kinds of kingdoms and power which rise up repeatedly in our world. And God is telling us that our world was and will continue to be dominated by horrible monsters. Now... Again, I think it's easy to miss the impact of what the, these creatures would have on the readers in the day of Daniel. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I looked out my window and saw a flying lion, um, I might call animal control. If I, depending on where I lived, I might just go grab a shotgun to take care of it myself. Um, I might Google how to keep flying lions out of my garden, and I would absolutely take a picture with my cell phone and put it on Facebook. But I wouldn't be horrified and, and think my life was about to end. Um, maybe you feel the same way. But, see, that misses what this passage would have meant to the readers in Daniel's time. Because when the readers in Daniel's time saw the, read this passage, they would have seen four creatures that represented horrible, terrifying fates for them, that their lives were in grave danger as long as these monsters survived. We might think of these uh, blended creatures as kind of weird, maybe even cool, like the magical liger. But to the Israelites, they would have been abominations, creatures that are violations of the created order. These are mythological creatures we've all read about but shouldn't exist in the real world. They represent a violation of God's law. He'd forbidden the kind of this kind of intermingling of clean and unclean animals. This is a violation of everything the Israelites believed in and held dear. This is an affront to God's own creation. Now, I was trying to think about how we can get a sense of this impact um, and and see the reality of this for uh, for us today. So I want you to try to imagine something for me, with me for a second. Instead of thinking about a flying lion as a representative of the evil forces in the world, think about a swastika. Instead of a, some kind of messed up looking bear, maybe think of a burning cross. Instead of a leopard that has too many heads, think about a child soldier drugged and forced to fight. These are horrible things. And the scripture today presents us with horrible things and says to us, this is the truth of the world in which we live. This is the reality 
that is all around us. Most of the time, we don't see it. But like I said, things are a lot worse than we realize. Now, it's easy to think about somebody like Hitler um, or the actions of outwardly violent oppressors and say, yeah, that kind of evil, there it is. But the danger for us is that if we're not careful, we'll miss the simple fact that these same principles which these beasts represent are at work all around us, saturating every aspect of our lives. I think we'll understand better if we, if we try to separate these from just being connected to the idea of a king or a kingdom or of some military um, power. These beasts represent a way of life that is apart from God. These beasts, as we've seen in the text, they come to claim dominion, to rule, to have authority. They represent anything that sets itself up as an alternative to God. Anything that would be a guiding principle, a rule for our lives. Pursuits of wealth, success, fame, finding our purpose, security, maybe nationalism, charity, even morality. These are not bad things in of themselves, just like lions and eagles aren't bad things. But when these things come to claim dominion over us and rule our lives, to be the guiding principles for our very souls, then they are trying to do something they were never intended to do. And then they serve the function of beasts, of monsters that come to destroy. Like these beasts, these kinds of forces show up in our lives here and claim dominion. They seek power over us to be a kingdom and to claim us as followers. These creatures may not be military powers, but they represent anything that claims the position of God, that promises to provide for us the things which God himself has promised to provide. When something as simple as a value like safety sets it up, sets itself up as an ultimate goal and promises to make our lives complete, it becomes like a monster. It's a good thing that's been corrupted, twisted, and made into something it was never intended to be. And here's the, the thing. When something, even something that seems innocent and good, like the American dream, having a nice, safe, prosperous life for your family, when that becomes, a guide, becomes our guide, the thing that we trust in, it becomes like a beast. The beasts in this passage represent our idols. They're anything which we worship and make our guide, anything that we give power over us. And this is a bad thing. Look at what happens in the text. <clears throat> Look at how these beasts are described. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see a bear still gnawing on the bones of its prey, the thirst for flesh, a terrifying monster crushing and devouring the people of God. These monsters, even the most innocuous seeming ones, only have the power to destroy. The pursuit of wealth, security, success, importance, fame, pleasure, Escape, these are paths that can only lead to death. And when we give ourselves over to these kingdoms that corrupt and destroy 
the dignity and value of God's creation, then they turn us into monsters just like them. They promise us life. They promise to give us all the things that God has said he will give. But this promise is a lie. It's a distraction to keep us from seeing the horrifying reality of what they truly are. Because if we begin to see the real truth, the real consequences of serving these idols, we will begin to see that what happens when we do is we become exactly like them. These great evil beasts that oppose God are recreating us in their own image. It's a great irony in our life that we become like the things we worship. If we worship God, we become more like God. When we worship empty, destructive idols that cannot give us life, that can only lead to death, then we become like them. Thank you. There's one more piece of historical background that I think is important to understand in this passage. You see, a few years back before Daniel came around as a prophet, there was another kingdom that was threatening Israel. It was the the kingdom of the Assyrians. In fact, they had already conquered the northern half of Israel and overthrown Samaria, which was the capital there. And it looked like they were an unstoppable force coming to destroy the rest of Israel to overthrow Jerusalem and to crush the temple of God. But at the last moment, the people of Israel trusted in God and turned to him for salvation. And they were saved miraculously. But then something went horribly wrong. Instead of continuing to trust in the God that had just saved them, they turned to this other king, this other kingdom called Babylon. They sought to make a military treaty with him and looked to him for protection. Babylon, as you may remember, is the kingdom that conquered Israel, that destroyed the temple. So instead of trusting in God for their continued protection, Israel turned to a monster, to a beast, and put their allegiance in it for its protection. And this did not end well. Just like for us, when we turn to the monstrous, God-dishonoring systems and values of our society, it does not end well for us. Israel turned to Babylon in faith, and before long, there was no Israel, only Babylon. And like Israel, if we turn to these monsters in faith, before long, there won't be us, only the monsters. When we conform to the patterns and methods of these godless systems in our world, we become a part of them. We've all experienced this, I think, in our lives, the corrupting, dehumanizing forces in the world we live in. They corrupt God's creation, dehumanize us, and as a result, what do we do? We corrupt God's creation. We dehumanize others. The pursuit of wealth ultimately drives us to treat people like objects. The pursuit of safety ultimately drives us to see people as risks, The desire for success drives us to see people as obstacles. The pursuit of 
moral superiority, causes us to twist God's word into a symbol of our own superiority. This pursuit of pleasure and escapism ultimately drives us to see people as means to our own ends. The pursuit drives us to do exactly the same things that they do to us. We corrupt and manipulate ourselves and others for our own ends. We dehumanize people and treat them as objects or obstacles to our own pleasure or success. We make these pursuits into idols, and in so doing, we condemn God and our own hearts as unnecessary or irrelevant. Like Morpheus said, the matrix is a system of control, and anyone who is still plugged into it is a part of the system. Anyone who still bows to these beasts from the seas and serves their purposes is a part of that power. So let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves if we are a part of the system. If we treat other people, whether real or virtual, as objects for our own sexual pleasure, then we are a part of the system. If you see poor or homeless people in your neighborhood as a blight that lowers your property value, then you are a part of the system. If we treat people at our job as stepping stones to our own success, if we neglect our own family for the benefit of our career, if you treat the world around you as a disposable resource for your benefit, if you treat God's word as a sign of your superiority, if you treat even your own family as an obstacle to your personal satisfaction, then you are a part of the system. You are plugged in to the beasts, and you are part of the problem. If you see yourself in this system, then you, like Israel, are choosing the power of the beast over the power of the Most High God to provide whatever it is that you need in life. You are serving the beast. You are becoming one with it. And this is bad news because, as our passage teaches us, an end is coming. And the beast, along with all those who serve them, will be destroyed. Look again in verse 9. Daniel says to us, As I looked, thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with power, with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and it thrown into the blazing fire. The system is going to crash, and everyone attached to it will crash with it. If you give yourself over to the pursuits of prosperity, security, safety, whatever they may be, if you make these your gods and trust in them, then when they fall, you will fall with them. Their end will be your end, and their judgment will be your judgment.
But there's good news too. The good news is that for all those who turn from the beast, who abandon the system and trust in our most high God, there is restoration, both now and ultimately in the life to come. Look what happens next. The beast is slain, judgment is passed down, and one comes who is like a son of man to take his proper place of authority to rule. Now, you you may already have in mind who the Son of Man is, but before we jump to that, realize what is happening. The world as we see it is ruled by monstrous beasts, corruptions of the creation of God that are corrupting, dehumanizing, twisting us into their own image. But what happens when judgment comes, one like a man comes? A human being comes to remake those people in his image. This is not simply judgment on evil and corruption in the world. This is restoration for all who trust in God. In the same way that trusting in the power of the world corrupts us, trusting in the power of the Son of Man restores us, makes us into who God created us to be, who we were always intended to be, remakes us in His image as people with dignity and honor in the image of God. To all who turn to Him, there is salvation from the corrupting and destructive forces in the world. There is restoration. There is hope. There is transformation into a new people with new life. If you will trust in Christ, the Son of Man, you can be victorious with Him and all your corruption can be overcome. You can be made new. The ultimate victory of God, which Christ wins for us, it enables us to break free from the bondage of these beasts and these monsters. It frees us from slavery to the world, to these ideals, to the powers that rules us. It frees us to treat other human beings as people made in the image of God and to see ourselves not as monsters, but as His children. It frees us to choose to do without for the good of others and the glory of God, to take risk and to give up our safety for God's kingdom, all because we know that the outcome is certain. We know the victory is ours. Our story started in the middle, and then we went back to the beginning, and we've seen the end. But there is one twist left in the story. One thing that you might have overlooked, and maybe you see it coming. If you've read the Bible much, you may have a sense of what's going to happen. It's kind of like watching a lot of those plot twist movies. If you've seen The Sixth Sense and Fight Club and Memento, then, you know, when you watch the other new movie where, oh, it's the same guy, he has split personalities, you're not really that surprised. You've seen it coming. So maybe you see it coming. But here it is. The final twist of our story is that the people of God, the very people suffering under the power of the beast, the people being destroyed and corrupted, will reign with Christ. The very people who look foolish in this life for not pursuing worldly success, the people who are laughed at and dominated by earthly powers, who are broken down and hated, these are the people who will rule 
in the true and everlasting kingdom. When the greatest beast, the last and strongest enemy of God is destroyed forever, we read, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. The sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High God. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and His rulers will worship, all rulers will worship and obey Him. This is the great hope that the Word of God gives to us, the ultimate answer to our suffering both now and in our futures. Those who give their faith and allegiance to the beast, the worldly powers, will be destroyed. But those who trust in God, who look to Him alone for life, for salvation, for meaning, will be restored, will reign with Him ultimately forever in His kingdom. Listen, this is a preachery thing to say, um, and I tend to avoid those, but... If you, if you haven't heard anything I've said so far, if you've been taking a nap um, or, can, or just bored, um, I apologize if that's the case. <clears throat> but I, I hope that, it, that you will hear this. The kingdom of our God has already come. Even though the full glory, the full manifestation and realization of it is still hidden, it reigns even now. When Christ came as the Son of Man, He came to bring restoration now to His people. The real plot twist of our story is that Christ came and defeated these beasts by dying, by being overcome, by being crushed by the world and those who sought to have life apart from God. Christ triumphed over the beasts by the cross. He conquered death itself and defeated the power of the enemies over us. If we trust in Him, there is restoration now from the dehumanizing, corrupting power of the beast. If we trust in Christ, there is power to be who He made us to be, even now. To be restored to the dignity, the honor that He created us to have. To be His children, created in His image. And even more, if we trust in Christ now, there is power to be His restoration to others to be the force that brings other people to life, to be God's work in the world, freeing other people from the slavery of corruption, from the bondage of these beasts. God is calling us through faith in Him to be the restoration now, to be the hope of the kingdom that is to come in its full glory and full power. And one day Christ will come again to make all things new to complete the restoration, to be with his people forever and ever. Let us pray. Christ, our Savior and King, conquering the evil of the world, destroying the beast that corrupt and kill, we give glory to you and pray that you would come. Come quickly, Lord. Help us to trust in the restoration that is to come and in the life that you give us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.